0: All right, well here we go with another episode where I have the opportunity to speak with another accessibility practitioner. Today I'm speaking with Ross Mullen. Hello Ross, how are you doing today?
1: Hi there, how are you going,
0: Joe? How's things? Everything's going really well. I am located right now in my home office on Vashon Island, which is a true island with no bridges, Uh, near uh, Blink's Seattle, Washington headquarters. Uh, Where are you talking to us from today?
1: I'm from uh, Canberra, Australia. So for ones unfamiliar, it's about 320 kilometers southwest of Sydney, slap bang in the middle of nowhere. So very much surrounded by bush. So we, uh, we have no beach, no sea, but we have a lot of, for a beautiful countryside around here,
0: and uh, I have been there. I I went to a conference there one time, and uh, and got to see the interesting architecture uh, that was developed. Uh, I believe your your city was kind of a a design capital city for Australia, wasn't that originally
1: how it was set up? It was yes, yeah, and it was uh, one of your fellow residents won the uh, won the uh, competition. Walter Burley Griffin. So I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, it was uh, the early twentieth twentieth uh, century. Uh, there was this uh, this uh, a competition for uh, designing the new uh, federal capital here, Canberra was chosen and the uh, Griffins designed it all without ever having visited here. So there's um, our largest lake is Lake Burley Griffin, named after Walter. So uh, there's a lot of uh, it, it interesting uh, background the history of how this American uh, couple uh, laid the foundations for what is Canberra now.
0: Well, uh, it's good to have you uh, join here. I appreciate it. Uh, we were able to get the time zones to work out. But a good place to start is, uh, you know, talk a little bit about yourself and the work that you're doing right now, and then we can explore how you got there.
1: Lovely. Uh, well, uh, I, I, I work under my... my, my a company name at the moment, uh, can access. Uh, we've been working in web accessibility now for about uh, 12 years plus. At the moment, I'm working with a large Australian uh, supermarket, helping them uh, meet accessibility uh, guidelines and reaching that, uh, increasing the, uh, the user experience. Before that, I was working in a government. So previously, my role was that of a background a developer, a back end. I moved into front end, and then uh, over time, I moved into a dedicated web accessibility role. So, uh, so originally, my uh, my background was very much uh, uh, focused on uh, compliance, but more and more and more, I was uh, reading more into Web accessibility and understanding the nuances more. So more and more now, I find when I have any questions related to web accessibility, it's more that it depends. It's that it's recognising more of the of the nuances in accessibility. So that's where I I am at the moment. We're working with a large supermarket and they've done ever so well meeting all all of their accessibility obligations, but they're at a point now of wanting to radically improve the uh, user experience. So once you've met all your minimum accessibility uh, uh, guidelines and uh, compliance aspects, then it's recognizing that we can do much, much more. And that's what's really interesting me at the moment, the sort of what next in accessibility.
0: Well, as we were talking a little bit before we started the, the recording, we were talking a little bit about the differences between, uh, you know, the, the importance of, of compliance for companies getting involved in accessibility versus uh, uh, return on investment versus it being a you know uh, you know a, a, a socially uh, a progressive thing to do and so you you had some thoughts about how things were uh, in Australia and I, I think that would be kind of uh, of interest to people uh, that aren't in it, that area in terms of uh, you know how important the compliance aspect is for companies coming to you to work on things versus you know other reasons that they might want to get involved
1: with it very much so yeah one of my uh, early roles was within uh, within the government and even uh, 15 years ago there was this recognition that um, due to the uh, disability laws here we would need to make all of our uh, all of our government to, to digital services accessible. So it was very much uh, focused on compliance, but then also uh, there were uh, pockets of innovation. Individual teams thought this is our minimum, but let's do more than that. And for several years, uh, that was how it was uh, moving along. Pockets of individual expertise driving accessibility, but not not necessarily making a making a massive impact but are doing enough to try and make a government to digital services accessible and then uh, with uh, with the work with the UK government uh, a similar agency over here was created the, the digital transformation agency and so they brought over a lot of their expertise with what they'd Uh, had accomplished in the UK uh, government. One of the things was introducing a a digital service standard. This was basically a a guideline or a blueprint of how to make up the government services which serve the needs of of the user. So moving away from that uh, compliance aspect, it... It into making it truly user user centric. So this um, this uh, document had uh, several criteria for how to improve uh, a government online the online services. One of those points was accessibility. It was this this it, individual item or, or called out, and that was really I guess the 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 catalyst. Within a government, which moved us from only doing the bare minimum uh, to recognising what can we do better, and that's when we could really see those innovations in accessibility more and more and more. And then, based on uh, the back of that work, uh, there was the uh, creation of a design system which had a lot of those accessibility you know, uh, principles baked in, and so. That, the bold aim with this design system was that any federal and state government agency could deploy a website quickly which had all all those core fundamentals so all of those accessibility principles baked in and then under under repinning that it was this documentation of how to do more and more and more. So, so that's been one of the main uh, uh, motivators in the government space in in recent years. The uh, the, the digital trans- transformation agencies' bold aims of uh, doing more, where rather than just making up a digital uh, digital service and having users uh, fit in to working with it. it it was recognizing what can we do better and that's where we really saw innovations in accessibility so bigger and better things where one of the main things was that um, consistency so if you had a design system whilst uh, a government website's using it would uh, work consistently it was baking in a lot of that accessibility so before that it was very much uh accessibility was open to uh, different levels of interpretation so one team in one department might think you would achieve accessibility in this way Uh, another team would say no this is the right way so with the uh, dta's approach it was sort of focusing all of our collective accessibility efforts into what's the best way. Let's do things one way and the right way. And uh, it's been very, very well adopted. But as I'm sure you experienced, governments change. And so over over time, that passion for, for accessibility is often there, but it's a bit more um, fragmented. And that's what we're noticing Noticing again, so as governments change, as elections happen, the focus of where and how digital services ought to be made is wandering a bit at times. So, from my experience, there's always better ways to do things, and there's lots of lots of individuals within a government. Right? contributing to improving accessibility but from where it was five years ago to now we're we're noticing it drop off again
0: well let's uh let's find a little bit more out about your uh your background um you most of us come into uh accessibility in a lot of different ways a lot of different uh paths of both our uh, lived life and opportunities in our work life uh, and where did it start for you where accessibility was uh something that you you recognized as important and valuable and then and then how did you decide that that would also be something you'd want to do or become involved in as a profession
1: yeah uh, my background in accessibility began uh where I had uh, recently joined a new team within a government. So my uh, my background is that of uh, of a back end uh, developer. So writing uh, a .NET C sharp. One of the expectations of this n- new team was that they were making a brand new uh, digital uh, uh, digital service and as part of that it needed to be uh, needed to be accessible as i joined the team i recognized no one really wanted to read through a wk at the most optimistic it's a very dry document with lots of um contradictory information so i found well as i'm new i would read it and i would uh extract out things which we as a team would uh, need to do and so over many many months of reading it and and familiarizing myself with it more and more and more i i recognized i was enjoying it where i could understand that my work as uh, as a back-end developer could really significantly improve the end user's experience, if we understood accessibility more. And I was uh, uh, putting out those themes, things which made sense, and more and more and more, I was uh, becoming more uh, more familiar. And as is always the case, anyone who is showing a uh, uh, adeptness at understanding everything is uh, suddenly labeled the expert. Well, I never viewed myself as that. I was just reading more and more and more, and then understanding it more. And then through my initial work in my initial work in accessibility, I recognised I was l- liking it more. I could understand it more. I, I could drill down a uh, deeper and further. So as my background of uh, of a software engineer, I was always wanting to really understand our concepts more than just the superficial level. And I found with accessibility, it was something which was hooking me more and more. So then I moved to other, other teams where ultimately I moved into a dedicated uh, uh, web accessibility role. Our regular work was auditing uh, uh, government applications and working closely with a colleague. We were a very good combination of uh, moving past that that level of uh, compliance things which are the minimum level to making recommendations of how to radically improve a user's experience regardless of of their uh, disabilities and then i found working in accessibility i would be exposed to the work of other other agencies and other uh, companies uh, uh, and I found there was um, a real not necessarily lacking of of expertise but uh, through my engineers background I was recognizing that the information being provided isn't necessarily helpful so I I identified that uh, I was doing better work than many of the in, in incumbents, and thought, well, I think there's a, a, a gap in the market for another company, and that's when I that's when I took you know, the step and launched uh, Knaxus because I recognised whilst all of the incumbents' work was very uh, very good, I felt I. I I could do it better and i could um just use another angle so ultimately i feel accessibility is that a technical discipline at times where understanding how things work in HTML in the code within javascript can really affect the end user experience if they're using assistive technology so i guess my Grounding in software development uh, made me appreciate more that how things which are written can vastly affect the end user's experience if they're using uh, assistive technology. And through that, I launched my own my company, and it, it's been a it's been a wonderful journey. I've met lots of interesting individuals. worked with with lots of different people and then recognised more that the learning with accessibility never ends so I always initially had this optimistic point of once I reach year x I would know about accessibility and I'd be that knowledgeable individual but I found the more I learn uh, and the more I understand the more I feel that I don't know enough and that's driven me more and more and more to consume more blogs you know, to reach out you know, to more you know, people and overwhelmingly just look past my own biases of i think this is absolutely right i would do it this way but to recognize more that with accessibility it's that uh, the test the testing again you're testing it in model browsers in multiple assisted uh, technology tools recognizing that Just because something works in one browser, in one screen reader, that might not necessarily be right for everyone's experience. And I feel that over time, that uncertainty now has made me a bit more humble with recognizing that my experience is just one voice. It's recognizing many others have an equally valid voice. And I, and I try and I take all that on board as much as I can. Well,
0: uh, I mean, you've had a, a lot of experience, uh, you know, in working with government agencies. So, so you had all of those experiences and then you've had your experiences working um, as a consultant. Uh, as you kind of look at where accessibility is today, is there uh, one area where you think maybe the accessibility community... Uh, needs to put in more effort, maybe an area that you think is particularly important for us to uh, be aware of looking forward. Uh, is, is is there any uh, certain place that uh, maybe you're most excited about developments that are coming along? So uh, just if you have an idea about uh, maybe one of those uh, future items.
1: One of my major, major pet peeves and, and I found there's a real um, uh, appetite for understanding accessibility in this area is with a a complex UI uh, controls. So uh, when you're making up a complex digital service, there might be lots of interactivity there. So the teams would leverage the uh, third, third, a party tools, uh, which have like dialogue boxes and drop downs and auto suggest a control. So rather than a team having to build that, they just use an existing component library. Now, these vendors may make bold accessibility claims of we are 100% accessible to WCAG 2.2, 2.1, got, got, got AA, we have VPATs. We write about accessibility regularly, and that often um, makes like, makes uh, makes software teams uh, building the digital services complacent. Where if a vendor has made these bold accessibility claims, there's all of this evidence indicating that they value accessibility, and they uh, built it well and then these software teams adopt it because part of the procurement process is making sure that the tool which you're using is fit for a purpose but then uh one of the uh, most challenging times was uh, several years ago with a large government application where they uh, they followed all of those uh all of that material this a company had written blog posts, mentioned that uh, accessibility, and this team had readily adopted everything. So every single screen had UI uh, controls from this vendor. What, it f- what we then found is when we were auditing it uh, towards the end, just that final tick of, is this application accessible and ready for the general general public? what we noticed was every single workflow was flawed where we had uh, a testing with uh, people with vision impairments and they weren't able to get past the first screen. And that was really disappointing because at that point, the application had, had been written and there was many, many months and significant amounts of resources would have to be dedicated to fix it. So in many ways, uh, that experience of my past has jaded me a little with recognizing what a vendor says isn't uh, ne- uh, isn't necessarily correct. Where I wouldn't say they're lying, but there's uh, being a little bit optimistic with their claims. Where we as accessibility individuals need to treat do, treat do Uh, cautiously, any bold claim of accessibility compliance, where we can recognise all of a vendor's efforts with writing blog posts, uh, having a dedicated accessibility issue tracking, and even making claims about it, all look promising. But unless we do our due diligence of confirming that, it's ultimately meaningless, where, yes, we, uh, we can take all that information on board, but ultimately we and other software teams and other individuals who are commissioning large projects need to, need to really hold to account companies who have made bold claims about accessibility because often uh, they, might, uh, they might not be entirely accurate. And I guess that us as a community as well, it needs to move away at times of um, this. How best can I say it? It's recognizing that accessibility is often, w- with some voices, treated as this like, like this a theoretical exercise that. Yeah, the best approach is to use native HTML elements where possible, which is valid. But then it's recognizing that other teams also have as equal input. So we, I guess need to do a better where accessibility is vitally important. but as part of delivering a software a project and a digital services, we also need to recognise at times that sometimes we need to make a compromises where one approach is might be the best approach, but we also need to understand that sometimes that best approach isn't workable and we might need to use that a tool set, which is inaccessible. So rather than being that loud voice, which is making... A, dismissive remarks uh, 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 about the accessibility efforts of a vendor, we need to say, this isn't working, but you could do this, this and this. So I guess us as an accessibility community as a whole, uh, adopting an approach of humility more where I don't necessarily think anyone is uh, uh, going out of, of the way to. Uh, to, uh, to deliberately make a service inaccessible or poor for a blind user. I think more it's the expectations are much more increased now with the software teams. There's less resourcing uh, and less time. And so often people make poor judgment calls, which mean that the end user experience is, is affected. So overwhelmingly, it's recognizing that it's not often a black and white approach It's recognizing those nuances and having to compromise and often lose the battle but win a greater war so if our aim is to make things accessible we often have to recognize that we might have, uh, have to allow a compromises with images which have poor descriptions or controls which have poor accessibility but if there's a roadmap of remedying
0: it, then that's, a, that's a good to compromise. Thanks for uh, that uh, case study example. That was very uh, helpful to get that and to get your insights uh, on that. And uh, um, I, I, w- I want to thank you uh, for participating in this Ross, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, be with me today and uh, hopefully we can meet in person sometime at a physical event maybe uh, either uh on this side or uh over on your side it was, but
1: it's uh, it good to chat with you i hope so too joe thanks so much and uh, re- uh, really really uh, uh good to talk with another accessibility a professional thank you all right thanks a lot bye-bye thanks joe Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host
0: of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests, but I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best in class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint, and maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible cider app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X.com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.